Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. to be able to be here. We're wearing flip-flops at the evening service now just to make things a little bit more casual because we're a really relaxed church. Can I get an amen? Um, but really amazing to be able to preach this evening. Such a privilege to be in community. Um, yeah, I get to hang out with my friends every weekend, which is so cool. So really great to have you guys here. And now I get to say that I have 150 friends. How great is that? Um, but such a privilege to be up here this evening as we continue on with our Move the Mountain series. Um, and we, we've seen God do incredible things over this time, and we're going to continue to push into that. Um, just to give you a little bit of an update on uh, what's been happening kind of in my world. This past week, we went to, um, we, uh, myself and Michael over here in the front, and we flew up to Pretoria for two days, and we got the privilege of spending some time with some churches there and learning and, and seeing how they're doing things and how they're pushing forward and how those churches are, are moving mountains. Um, and as we did that, I just want to let you guys know, particularly all the single ladies in the room, a lot of the Pretoria girls were giving Michael their number just randomly. So up there, he, he is a sought-after commodity. So I want to say, ladies, you need to get on the move. That's all I'm saying. We need to move some mountains, yeah? Um, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. He wears very nice glasses, and he'll give you great, he will cook you a meal like you have never had before. He's known for cooking gammon for the church leaders. So you know it's going to be good. So ladies, can I get an amen? <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I'm just, okay, where was that? Good. I'm just um, but really amazing privilege to, yeah, bless you, brother. <laughs> bless you. Um, but just also exciting thing, we got on the Friday to have a, a planning meeting for the call conference. And if you've been here for any period of time, you would have heard of the call conference. But actually, it is this moment where a whole bunch of churches from all around South Africa gather together at 3CI in Pretoria. And we worship together. We hear God together. And I want to tell you that when you are part of a community of faith like this, you are part of something far bigger than you could ever imagine. You are part of something far bigger than you could ever imagine. The kingdom of God stretches far wider and has far more influence than we could ever imagine. The Bible promises us that God will make His, His life, His wisdom known through His church. And I want to say to you that as we do moments, like we do clothing drives and we push into things and we say, come on mission with us. And we, we do all of these different things. We know that God is using us to advance his kingdom in massive ways. Um, and those kinds of moments are such a privilege. So I want to say, if you want to, if you're sitting here and going, well, I'm here, I want to get stuck in, sign up for one of those mission trips. Come to the call with us this year. Stretch yourself financially in terms of time, in terms of those couple of days leave that are often so precious to us. I promise you, when we make sacrifices like that, God will open up doors and opportunities like we could never imagine. Because we serve an incredible God. So, got to spend some time with them and, and really is a, an amazing privilege. But tonight we continue on this series called Move the Mountains. And if you are visiting us for the first time, this was a, a statement that we made at our, our Vision Sunday saying, God, we want to move mountains this year. It is hinged on this scripture in Matthew seventeen twenty. It says, Jesus speaking, and he says this. He replied, because you have so little faith, but truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. 
And this is off the back of a moment of Jesus speaking to his disciples. They have, they have done some things. They're wanting to understand why it hasn't worked out. And Jesus is saying, well, actually, if you have faith this big in me, you will be able to do impossible things. You will look at a mountain and say, move, and it will move. And I don't know when last you looked at Table Mountain and said, move, and then. But I want to say to you that we serve an incredible God, a God far bigger than we could ever imagine. And so we are trusting that this is not just a preaching series or a cool catchphrase, but it is a statement of faith that we are putting out as a church saying, God, we want to move mountains this year. God, we want to see you do the incredible in the city this year. God, we want to see you transform lives this year. We as a church are trusting God for crazy, big, wild, city-changing, life-altering faith steps. I don't know about you, but I can get on board with a dream and a vision like that. I can get on board with something that says, actually, we want to do more than we could ever hope, dream, or imagine. Why? Because we serve a God of the impossible. We want to see healings. We want to see our marriages restored. We want to see the city come to know Jesus. And you might be sitting there going, wow, these guys are crazy. And I want to say to you, ma'am, sir, yes, we are. Because we serve an incredible God. So I'm really excited about that. I don't know about you guys. Um, and so tonight, as, as we kind of get stuck into something that I've really been feeling on my heart, I want to say to you tonight that moving mountains is a team sport. Moving mountains is a team sport. We were never meant to do life in isolation. We were never meant to do life alone. And not only were we not meant to do life alone, we were not meant to worship God alone. So often you'll hear people say the statement, well, you know, it's just me and my Jesus. But actually, you know what? The Bible says, our Father who art in heaven. We were never meant to do this alone. People say, you know, no, I'm a naturally reserved person. I I naturally don't like to to just be around a lot of people. I want to say to you that God designed you to be around people. God designed you to do this thing together. And so tonight, as we get stuck in what I'm going to be speaking on, and I know this is going to blow your mind, but this evening, I'm going to be speaking on smashing molehills. I know. I know. I don't know if you guys have ever seen a molehill before. It's not an attractive thing, eh? You know, when you walk outside and you look at your garden, and you go, wow, this is beautiful. And then you walk outside the next morning, And that little piece of ground is just lifted. And you know, in two weeks' time, your garden is finished. Unless you deal with the problem. You know that if that mole makes a couple more hills, you are in trouble. And so what I want to say to us tonight is that we need to deal with some mole hills if we want to move mountains. We need to deal with some mole hills if we want to move mountains tonight. And and so a couple of things we know about mole hills. Number one, they are small. You can write that down if you were just wondering. Although sometimes they get quite big. Number two, they are irritating. I don't know about you, but when you try and try and try and get rid of them. When I grew up in Joburg, we had a very big garden. Trying to get rid of a mole in a big garden is a difficult thing. Number one, they're small. Number two, they're irritating. Number three, they get in the way of what you are trying to do. And number four, they destroy your big, beautiful garden. And with that in mind, right now, I'd love for us to read Scripture. And as we read Scripture, we love to do this as a community. Can I ask you to stand to your feet as we read the Word together? It'll be on the screen behind me. It's Acts 14.24 to 15.3. It's not long, but it really is an amazing piece of Scripture. It says this, After going through to Poseidia, they came into Pamphylia, 
And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Go to the next one, please. There we go. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised, according to the customs taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp disputes and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through, I don't know how to say that, and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. Father, I pray tonight as we read your word and as we grapple with a few things in this text, Father, I pray that our ears would not be tickled, but our hearts would be changed, God. I thank you, Father, that tonight you would do something in this community as we go on this journey, God, that we would become more like you, Jesus. That is the endeavor of our hearts, Father, to become more like you, Jesus. So as we read your word and as we grapple with your word, God, I pray you would do something deep in our hearts, Father. Amen. Let's, you can take your seats. I just want to give you a little bit of um, context to the scripture. Paul and Barnabas, it's, so Mark preached on, on the, the getting out of the jail moment with Peter, and it carries on a little bit with that. And then it gets stuck, Acts gets stuck into these stories of Paul and Barnabas going and preaching the gospel. They are going into places, they are preaching Jesus. One of the accounts actually says, that Paul and them went and preached the gospel in a place. He got stoned. They took him out of the city. They thought he was dead. He got back up. He went back into the city and preached again and then moved on to the next city. I don't know about you, but if I had been stoned and taken out and I just made it, I would have gone immediately to the next city and found a nice hotel just to recover for a couple of months. But actually, there is this drive in Paul and Barnabas to preach the gospel, to show people Jesus. And so it goes on and on and on of accounts of place after place after place. The beginning of the scripture is amazing. It says, after going through this place, they went to this. Then they had preached the word in Perga. They went to Italia. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch. It's just this incredible, like, wow. They have been to more places in that period of time than you could imagine. They go into the church in Antioch, and they start to speak of what God has done. They start to share of what Jesus is doing, and people are rejoicing, and people are, are, are just so excited at what God is doing. They are on mission. They are counting for God. They are moving mountains. And then what happens? A group of teachers decide that they are going to start to, to build a little molehill. They go, actually, you know what? The Gentiles, this, this scripture is incredible. The chapters preceding this are the moment when the, the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, the non-people of God, came to know Jesus. We came to know Jesus. This is when it started. The move of God that I am a, a product of thousands of years later started in this text. But this group of teachers who are potentially grumpy, potentially frustrated, they start to lie to the people. They start to lift this little molehill. And what happens? The people start to pay attention to the molehill. And, and so what happens is immediately Paul, and they are saying, actually, if you are not circumcised, you cannot be saved. And what does the text say? It says that Paul and Barnabas, they got, they were commissioned, and they went into a quick dispute. 
wasn't a, hey, yeah, okay, we'll chat in a couple of weeks. It was a quick dispute. They were going, no, we are going to deal with this now. Why? Because God wants to do something in this place. And so often when those molehills pop up, we, we ignore them for a little while. We go, no, let's keep talking about the good stuff. No, actually, they dealt with it. And not only did they deal with it in that place, they moved on and dealt with the rumors that were going on. See, when we read the Bible, sometimes it can seem very complicated, but actually all Paul and Barnabas are doing are dealing with a molehill. And so they go on, and, and actually as you read, they continue to spread the good news and speak of what God had done while they were dealing with this molehill. And so tonight as we get stuck in, I want to say to you that every person in this church, we as a community and every single individual have a responsibility to protect and nurture what God is doing in this community. The challenge is, like I said earlier, moving mountains is a team sport. We have a responsibility as each and every individual in this community to nurture and fight for what God is doing. And because of that, it is so incredibly important that we smash the molehills. And so tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to take a few minutes and we are going to look at three key molehills that I believe that we as individuals and, in, and as a community, as individuals we need to smash and as a community we need to fight against. The first molehill I want to smash tonight is smallness. And I want to say to you that my first point is very simple. Fix your eyes. In Hebrews 12, 1 to 2, it says a, a portion of it says, And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. I want to say to you tonight, fix your eyes on Jesus. If the enemy cannot keep us from God, he will keep us distracted from the things of God. If the, if the enemy cannot keep us from God, he will keep us distracted from the things of God. And I want to say to you tonight, if you are not a believer in Jesus, if you have not committed your life to Christ, he is inviting you today to know him as your personal Lord and Savior. And I believe that so quickly we can get distracted. So quickly that molehill of, oh yeah, that, that thing that pops up and the molehill of smallness so quickly distracts us from the mountains that God is calling us to. When we take our eyes off Jesus, when we stop enjoying God, we start to take notice of the small things. We start to allow smallness to creep into our lives. We start to allow our focus to be taken off the King of Kings, the glorious one, the one who is bigger than we could ever imagine, the one who came from heaven and died on a cross and, was, and rose again so that I could have life. We take our eyes off him and we start to focus on small things. And I want to say to you tonight, if we want to be a community that moves mountains, we need to learn to smash the molehill of smallness in our world. Um, when I was, um, when I was a, a young man, I was 16 years old, I committed my life to Christ and I was in grade 9 and I remember I gave my life to Jesus and I went to youth, I was excited about God, I didn't totally understand everything, I was so excited about Him and I remember I was dating a girl who was in our school, she didn't believe in God and we had been dating for I think 6 months or something like that and, and I just remember this moment, it was such a key God moment in my life. I remember going to one of the youth leaders and I actually just said to him, um, uh, Batty, I, I'm not sure what to do here. Should I date this girl? I, I didn't really know how church worked. I didn't really know uh, much of the Bible. I, I wanted some insight into how to move forward. And I remember him saying to me, he looked me in the eye, and he didn't give me an answer of what I should do. He just said to me, Tyler, what decision is best for your relationship with God? What decision is best for your relationship with God? 
And I remember that day at, at 15 years old, God presented a fork in the road for me. It was pursue him or pursue smallness. And I remember going to that girl later that week and as, as nicely as I possibly could, I said, actually, this relationship needs to end. Not because she was a horrible girl, but because I believe God had more for me. And I obeyed his word. And the way that we combat smallness is to give ourselves to obedience. You know, the Bible says that, the, the Bible says that God does not hem us in. It rather says that the, the boundary lines of the Lord fall in pleasant places. Smallness, we, we walk into smallness when we take our eyes off Jesus. When we take our eyes off being obedient to the King of Kings, who opens up more space for us than we could ever imagine. I want to say to you that small spaces lead to small futures. If you want a radical future in God, fight the smallness that we so easily gravitate to. Why? Because God has got a radical future for you. God has got mountains He's calling you to move. We allow ourselves to get stuck into the small space of offense. Someone says something small to you, and I, I love this illustration. Offense is very simply that. It is a fence that you build around yourself. It is a fence that you build around yourself. I'm inside here. Nobody's allowed in. Why? Because that person was rude to me. And you know that the only person that that poisons is you. The only person that that hurts is you. We live in the small space of offense. We, we start to live in the small space of frustration. You know, frustration can be a good thing when it spurs us to more. But when we allow frustration to become the dictating emotion of our lives, we start to live in a small space. We start to live in the space that says, actually, you know what? I'm not even going to try because I, I'm, I'm frustrated with that thing. We live in that small space. We, we live in the small space of unforgiveness. I want to say to you tonight that, that Jesus is so clear around forgiveness. He says, do it as many times as you possibly can. He forgave you completely. So what does he say? He says, forgive, forgive. Not if they say sorry, not if they fix it, forgive. Why? Because he wants to rip us out of small spaces and put us into a radical future that he has for us. I think we start to live in the small space of distraction. Distraction is a funny thing. Uh, um, as a wedding gift, we had an incredible wedding. People were so wildly generous to us. Um, and we, uh, my, my dad actually bought us a TV as a wedding gift. And uh, if you know me and my wife, we love watching movies. We love it. Um, and now um, we've made the fatal error of getting Netflix. And so when you walk into the house, there is this temptation. There are many things to do. But there is this subtle temptation to just switch on Netflix and there is an endless treasure trove of things to watch. It's even become a thing. Binging is like a thing now. It's like a cultural thing that we do. But actually, you know what? When I walk into my home, I have a, and now I'm not saying watching TV is a bad thing, but I have a decision to make. Do I connect with my wife or do I let that TV become my obsession? Do I chase after what God has got for me that day or do I let that thing become my obsession? And it is a small example of how quickly we allow the molehill of distraction to become big in our lives. We allow that smallness to wrap us up. I want to ask you that question. Is it good for your relationship with God? If it's not, cut it loose. We, we live in the small space of fear of failure. We live in the small space of fear of not having finances. The Bible is so clear that God is our provider. It goes so far as to say that He's a Father that will give you good gifts. Not only will He provide for you, He will give you good gifts. We need to get out of smallness, guys. Start trusting Jesus for the more that he has. 
Molehill number one is smallness. Molehill number two is hard-heartedness. And the point there I want to say to you is guard your heart. If we want to move mountains, we have to learn how to guard your heart. This Friday at a, a ministry time with Rory Dyer, he made this statement. He says, we want to be a people of courage, not of cynicism. He is, a, he is a man who has been in ministry for decades. He has every reason to be cynical. Yet he stands up in front of a collection of leaders and goes, we want to be a people of courage, not of cynicism. I want to say to you, life changers, my heart's desire is that I would be a person of courage, not cynicism. That we would be a community of courage. When our hearts become hard, we not only miss opportunities for faith, we miss moments with God. And you know, so often I think cynical people just go, I just want a a breakthrough moment with God and and then I'll get over all these things. But that very thing that you are, are hoping for a breakthrough moment with God to get over is the thing that is preventing you from having moments with God. Cynicism is a molehill that we have to smash in our lives. By celebrating what God is doing, we seed the atmosphere for more. By celebrating what God is doing, we seed the atmosphere for more. However big or however small it is, when we go, God, I'm going to step over my cynicism, I want to say this is a challenge to me. When we step over our cynicism, step over our our hearts that get hard so quickly, and we go, God, I want to celebrate what you are doing, we seed the atmosphere around us for him to do so much more. This week, uh, Mark sent us a a statistic back of Life Church. They, 16 years ago, had 260 volunteers. Today, they have 5,500 volunteers. And we can have so many different things to say about different churches. But when we celebrate what God is doing, we see the atmosphere for Him to do things here as well. When we criticize, we null and void that thing. I want to say to you, let's celebrate as a church what God is doing. I want to say you start saying yes to God and no to negativity. Start saying yes to God and no to negativity. We so quickly get sucked into that space. And I'm now what I'm not saying is become blind to problems. You know, when you go, no, everything's so fantastic, let's not worry about any of those things. And we love it. I'm not saying that. I'm saying let your posture be one of trusting God. Let your posture be one of, yes, I see the problem, but I serve a big God. I want to encourage us to smash the molehill of hard-heartedness. I want to ask you tonight, which areas of your heart have become hard? What areas of your life have you allowed to become cynical? As I prepared this sermon, I asked God, I said, God, identify where I've become cynical. Because I can promise you now, in those areas, you do not have faith. In those areas, you are not saying, God, what is the more here? And so when we allow God to get in, and I want to say to you, this is not an easy thing. Becoming more like Jesus is not an easy thing. But it is the best pursuit you could ever endeavor to be on. When we go, God, deal with this. It's it's hard. The Bible describes it as an operating table. It's a messy space. It is a difficult space. But we become more like Jesus in the process. Number one, smash the molehill of smallness. Number two, smash the molehill of hard-heartedness. And then lastly, I want to say to you, smash the molehill of gossip and negativity. And the the point here is very simply this, watch your tongue. And as I preach this, I'm going, God, these things, you've got to work in me. In Luke 6.45, there's this scripture. It says, the good person out of the good treasure of the heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. 
Firstly, we connect with Jesus, keep our eyes fixed. Then we let him deal with our heart. And then he deals with our tongue. This is a challenge to myself first. Gossip and negativity is the fastest way to derail the purposes of God in a person's life, as well as the corporate faith of a church. When we allow that thing to creep in, it derails what God is doing. I want to say to you, as a community of faith who are believing God for more, we need to become radically accountable to combat this thing. We need to become radically accountable. Now, accountability for you might uh, be this, this buzzword that you feel like, oh, they're going to check everything I do. Oh, oh I'm so scared. Oh, my sin is going to be policed. No, accountability is the mechanism that God placed in the Word to call us to more. It is the mechanism that God put in His Word to call us to more. So I, 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 I had a little bit of fun with my mate Michael over here. But I want to say to you, this man, we've been friends for not a very long time, but he's not scared to challenge me. He's not scared to say, actually, bro, you are wrong in that space. Actually, bro, I'm not happy with the way that you're doing that. And for me, that is such an incredible blessing. It's tough in the moment. But when he calls those things out, he allows God to work in me. I want to say to you, what relationships do you have that will call you out on these things? What radical accountability do you have? Now, I'm not saying you need to type out a report for that person every week. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is have friendships and relationships that are real. Honest conversations happen. Like I said earlier, moving mountains is a team sport. We've got to do this together. We've got to fight for this community together. Your speech is a weapon you can use not only to move your own mountains, but to move the mountains of others. I'm asking God to teach me how to broach subjects with people so that I encourage and grow their space. It is such a difficult thing. I am naturally a person who sees holes. When someone explains something to me, I naturally go, oh, but what about this? What about this? And I'm trying to teach myself to be a person that goes and, and, and gives encouragement in that moment. When someone says, I'm going to pursue this thing, I, I want to give encouragement so that they can trust God for more. I want people to leave conversations with me feeling encouraged and uplifted. And actually, it is a very challenging thing in our world. A world that shouts criticism day and night. If you read the news, if you go onto social media, it shouts criticism. Let us become a counterculture community that says, God, we will encourage. We will grow. We will put faith in hearts. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a community that this city needs. That sounds like a community that can transform Cape Town. That sounds like a community that can transform Tableview. One of the highest divorce rates in our nation is Tableview. I want to say to you that when we learn to encourage marriages, they will start to turn around. When we learn to go, we want to be the people to, to breathe life into stories, they will turn around. I know this is a practical word, but I really believe God is calling us as we go. We want to move mountains. As Mark preached about stepping out of your tomb, as Mark preached about standing up and following God, I believe that these molehills can so quickly divert our attention. And we've got to deal with them quickly. Many, many years ago, um, there was a lady here who, who prophesied over this church before I was even part of it. And she said that this church would have an influx of young professionals. At the time, and I'll, correct me if I'm wrong, Gabe, there were maybe eight young professionals in this church. At the time, there were, eight, so from natural, the natural view, we were going, uh, not sure. I don't know if that's going to happen. 
But a lady prophesied the word of God and said that there will be an influx of young professionals into this church. And as we endeavor to plan for the future and plan for what God has got, and we sat down as a team and we, we just started to write down names of young professionals in our community. Just write down names. By the end of that conversation, we were sitting at about 130 young people in this church. And I, there are countless, I don't know, that's something worth celebrating. I don't know about you, but I'm quite excited about that. And I know that there are countless, countless more. The reason I tell that story is, one, because God is incredibly good. And two, because I believe there are leaders in this community. There are people in this community that smashed molehills so that we could see that mountain move. We have seen salvations. We have seen people baptized. We have seen the life of God break in, depression broken, anxiety broken, people set free. I love it. My ma- Where's my mate Warren? I love this guy. I hang out with him all the time. There's Warren. This guy got saved on a Thursday afternoon and brought his mate to church on Sunday who committed his life to God. For me, that is revival. I don't know about you, but that is revival. But I believe when we smash molehills in our lives, God will give us faith, courage, and a community around us so that we can see mountains move. Can I ask the band to come up? We're just going to take a brief moment now because I, I believe that... Um, as I preach this word, we, there's got to be a strategy in our lives. We've got to have a strategy. God is so clear. He gives words. He gives big picture. But then he puts people in place for strategy. And I want to say to you that as I spoke that these three simple points, fix your eyes, guard your heart, and watch your tongue. I believe that for the second two to happen, we need to get the first one right. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. So can I ask us to stand as a community? And we're just going to sing a song, one song together. But as we sing this song, I would ask that you would ask, you would ask God. Not I would ask God for you. Not the leadership would ask God for you. That you would ask the Father to recalibrate the way you are looking. I would ask you to ask the Father to lift your eyes to Jesus as we worship Him. I would ask you that you would say to God, I want to fix your eye, my eyes on you again, Jesus. Because you are the author and perfecter of our faith. And so, Father, right now, Jesus, as we sing this song, God, to seemingly such a natural thing, Father, I pray, God, that you would teach us to fix our eyes, God. I pray for people in this room, Jesus, that are, have never committed their lives to you, God. I pray in this moment of worship, Father, they would have an encounter with you, God. I pray for people in this room who have allowed hard-heartedness and cynicism to grip them. I pray right now, Father, you would lift their eyes to you again, God. I pray, Father, that you would work in hearts right now, Jesus. Work in our hearts, Father God. Help us to fix our eyes again. Let's worship.